0: This is Gigawaters, the latest podcast series from Energy Voice Out Loud in paid partnership with Orsted. We are leading the global energy conversation, assessing the lay of the land as Scotland waits with bated breath to see how its offshore wind future unfolds. At the beginning of next year, Crown Estate Scotland is expected to release the results of ScotWind, the first offshore wind leasing round in Scottish waters in around a decade. More than 70 bids have been submitted by companies and consortiums, eager to shape Scotland's drive to be a net-zero country by 2045. I'm Hamish Penman, a digital journalist at Energy Voice, and I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by my co-host Benj Sykes, Vice President of UK Offshore Wind at Orsted, and our special guest for this week, Gillian Morrison, Senior Development Manager at Highlands and Islands Enterprise. To kick off this uh, special series, it seems only right to discuss what's on offer first up. Benj, as a Scotwind bidder, can you kind of tell us about the process from your side and and what you stand to win? So, Scotwind, a really exciting opportunity. Uh, The last Large
1: leasing rounds uh, for seabed for offshore wind in Scotland are, are some years behind us now and this is a fantastic opportunity to access one of the best markets for offshore wind globally I would say. There's up to, well hopefully a little bit more than 10 gigawatts of seabed rights up for grabs. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, it's a capability-based competition. As you say, there's been over 70 bids, 74 bids, so we know it's heavily oversubscribed. Uh, and I think that's just a sign of quite how good this market is looking for offshore wind developers.
0: Sure. And, and Gillian, on the flip side of that, the impact that this is going to have on Scotland, communities, economies, where do you kind of see that from from your work in Highlands and Islands Enterprise?
2: From a Highlands and Islands enterprise perspective, Scotland is undoubtedly going to be the most transformational industry that we've seen in recent decades from both an economic and a social impact across the whole of Scotland and and certainly in our own region across the Highlands and Islands. Uh, We have the significant resource, as we know, in, in terms of the wind resource and actually as well within Scotland we have... The real capability and flexibility of our of our workforce and the capability in their supply chain to to be able to deliver what what the industry is looking for, what developers such as as Benj and Orsted are looking to to come forward with, and we're really excited to to get going with with what the announcements will bring in January and to essentially hit the ground running along with industry to make sure that both our communities and our businesses are are ready to to service what's what's needed. But it's going to be the most significant opportunity that we've seen for many, many years.
0: And on that point of wind, I mean, anybody who lives and works up here is is well aware of uh, quite how windy it can be on a, at midnight on Union Street. Uh, ben, from a industry perspective, just how good and how good an opportunity does Scotland present?
1: There's no doubt it, it, it's one of the one of the big opportunities globally that's uh, on the slate right now. And it's not only because of the uh, opportunity to build gigawatts of offshore wind building towards Scotland's target of 11 gigawatts by 2030, uh, there's a lot more that's, that's important for us and I think for other developers. We know we've already got uh, a few gigawatts of offshore wind in Scotland, but there's a lot more to come and that brings with it the opportunity not only to decarbonise the electricity system, but Scotland is well-placed to start decarbonising more widely, looking at hard-to-abate industries through hydrogen, looking at transport. We've got a partnership with Edinburgh Airport to decarbonise the airport and, and the activities there. And, of course, skills, a really great opportunity to build a new set of supply chains, particularly around floating wind, and, and let's remember, Scotland has a huge amount of offshore resource, a lot of that in deep water where we're going to be going for floating technology, it's emerging. And this is the opportunity for Scotland to build a globally leading supply chain and a, an expert base that we we can export around the world. So we're very excited. You know, we've got five bids in this leasing round, uh, over eight gigawatts that we, we're hoping to win. Uh, we know competition is fierce, but I think, again, that just comes back to the 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 quality the opportunity here
0: and Ben you've got already Alstead already has a very strong footprint in a, in England with a number of large developments is this is will Scotland be the the enabler for for that to move up uh, up the coast I suppose yeah absolutely
1: um, if we look at the sites that we're we're hoping to win um, uh, even one of those will enable us to start building a really strong footprint uh, as we've done in Taiwan as we're doing in the New Jersey in the US as we've done in England in the Humber, we see this as a a real opportunity to start building that operations capability, building a hub as we have uh, in other parts of the world. If I think of Grimsby alone, we have over 400 people, all of whom live very locally. Uh, This is a huge opportunity for regenerating coastal communities coastal businesses and of course there's a deep supply chain that comes with that and that's before we even talk about the potential for fabricating floating foundations and all the other balance of plant that comes with that
0: uh, as well as the turbines themselves sure and that gillian also having a base of 400 people in, in grimsby that kind of those facts and figures must give you a lot of heart looking towards this bid process coming out especially given the proximity that what, almost all of the, uh, the Scottwind zones are in location to the Highlands and Islands.
2: Yes, absolutely right. The value of th- of that type of number of jobs is is hugely significant to to our region. Probably quite similar in terms of some of the demographics and the challenges that were previously in, in some of the areas where, where Benjamin and his team are are operating at the moment. We often use the examples of ten jobs in, in the rural economies of the Highlands and Islands is a is hundred at least in the central belts of of Scotland and some of our major cities. So the actual impact of these skills and the sustainability of them as well when we look at offshore wind and how long that we are both in development, operation and, and certainly and when we start to look at even repowering and decommissioning in the future, the sustainability of these jobs is really significant and important to us. Uh, That's what we are focused on. That is what our ultimate aim and, and objectives are and interestingly when Ben talked about the floating opportunity, we see that as hugely significant, specifically around the Highlands and Islands, with the majority of the sites that are available at the moment um, in, the, in the deeper water. And, and certainly we have expertise across our region to be able to deploy for, for offshore energy. The skills coming from oil and gas. We we've heard it many times before and I think we'll continue to hear it, the, the expertise and the skills and the transferability of that is is something that we need to really be focusing in on uh, to make sure that we we maximise the the potential there.
1: I couldn't agree more, Gillian. And I suppose as the living embodiment of the switch from black to green, having spent twenty years as a petroleum geologist, you know I know how important it is to pick up on all those skills, particularly around the floating technologies, but more generally as well uh, that offshore workforce and the engineering uh, marine engineering capabilities that we have in Scotland. And uh, I know from my time in Aberdeen, you know these are things that we want to grab hold of and that will give Scotland a really strong start in building that global leadership. Just coming back to ports, I had, I've had i had the opportunity to visit a number of ports over the last month and a half, all the way from Nigg and uh, Cromarty, uh, Firth, Ardacea, Invergordon, and further down the coast towards Dundee and Aberdeen as well. There's huge potential there. There's a lot of energy and enthusiasm for grasping the opportunity of of this leasing round, both bottom fixed and floating, which is why, you know, we've got a mixture of both floating and bottom fixed. And I think both are going to be crucial in building the supply chain, building the sustainable jobs, and of course, decarbonising, as I say, not only the power sector, but but much more besides.
0: It's great to hear that the appetite is there from, from ports, especially... In, in regards to your your area, Gillian, with there being so many, is there perhaps a gap, a gap, a gap, a gap between uh, appetite and uh, facilities at the moment? Does that need to be plugged slightly to be able to accommodate these huge, huge projects?
2: Yes, yeah, so it's very topical at the moment and has been for a number of months. Certainly around both the port sector and indeed in public sector. So. You're absolutely right. The The scale and, and of what is coming and what we are looking to to host and deploy from, from Scotland is a challenge for our current infrastructure within our ports around Scotland. There's been a number of studies done uh, and it's highlighted that there is indeed that capacity gap. What we are seeing though, and it's part of the, the benefit and the beauty of doing business in Scotland, we are all now coming together in terms of the next steps. Uh, you'll be Potentially be familiar with the strategic investment assessment. That was the most recent report that was done by SOIC, the Scottish Offshore Wind Energy Council. And what that did was really identify the most immediate short-term action that needs addressed is is creating a floating offshore wind port cluster. And that has been identified as being in, in and around the Inner Murray Firth when you look at NIG, Port Cromarty Firth and Ardesir, um there as well. And also recognising the impact of the, the West Coast ports and the ones in the North as well. And actually looking at innovations which will come along to, to sit alongside the infrastructure that's there at the moment, what will undoubtedly come by way of investment um, over the coming years, and also some of the real innovator uh, and ideas that are coming forward as to how to help increase the capacity that's needed. So, there's discussions underway, uh, certainly coming from the the SIA that is now what is termed a collaborative framework working group, and that is the first steps to collaborating both with industry and importantly the ports. So the ports need to collaborate. We keep pushing on 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 industry and, and Benj and his colleagues will be very, very aware of this. We keep asking from them, what more can you do? What more can you give in terms of that security of, of confidence of pipeline to allow port investment? But also, and really importantly, our ports need to also come together and collaborate, which is understandably quite difficult when you operate in in cold, hard commercial terms.
0: Sure. And I mean, there's this kind of debate at the moment about free ports or green ports, as they might be dubbed up here. How kind of important is it from your stance to see that perhaps some progress? Because there has been, obviously the free ports announced south of the border and Teesside won quite a lot of work off the back of that. It would be, it seems like it would be very good to see that replicated up here and quite quickly given that we're a month and a bit away, perhaps, from from Scotland being announced or being the results being announced.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's super important, and, and you know, I think it's it's a smart move to create green ports. They offer real advantage over, if you like, a standard port. Um, and I, you know, we're engaged already with with potential bidders for those green ports because we want to bring our expertise. Orsted's a bit of a an odd company in the sense that, unlike a lot of other developers, we do all of our Uh, engineering, procurement and construction in-house. We've got uh, 2,000 plus people working on that. So we have that deep expertise and that's enabled us to work very closely with the ports to really identify beyond the sort of superficial, what do we really need as a developer? If we're going to build a three gigawatt wind farm, what does that look like in terms of capacity capability, right down to the details, you know, what load bearing do we need? What key length do we need? And so on. And I think those conversations are very encouraging as as we support the move towards the green ports. There's no doubt that those will provide a very competitive solution for for developers in Scotland. But just coming back to Gillian's point, this is only going to work if we work together. And, of course, we're competitors. We're competitors as developers. The ports compete with each other as well. But the prize is too big for this to be a fight between businesses where it's appropriate to do so. We need to work closely together between Highlands and Islands, Scottish Enterprise, Scottish Government, developers, the ports, the turbine supplies and the, and the top levels of the supply
0: chain. We're going to have to work together to deliver the best for Scotland and the best for the offshore wind sector. Gillian, thinking about the strategy for these things, we often hear about public sector investment. Where do you kind of stand on that and, and where that needs to be now?
2: It's a really interesting point because I think we're moving into in a quite a different space in terms of the future investment models that are going to be needed for for significant investments of scale for for the real core infrastructure, the high level infrastructure that we'll be looking for. So historically, there was quite a pool for public sector funds in that, and and rightly so. What we're seeing. Uh, Everyone will be very familiar with the public announcements that many of the developers who have stated their interest in Scotland um, have come forward with um, many millions and billions of pounds of investment. And actually, what we see is not so much that the actual funding of investments is going to be the challenge, it's actually the strategy as to how we manage these funds and manage the investments. And actually, for Scotland, having that real aggregation of capacity investment, so a capacity-led investment as opposed to project by project, because I think that's where we're going to see the real the real value add and the real benefit of securing the investments where they're needed for industry as a whole and undoubtedly those who are successful in January will have very clear desires about what they need to, to deploy their own projects but also there will be generic funding for the wider supply chain whether that's supply chain growth for indigenous companies or, or in attracting inward investments. So A different model I think we're going to see moving forward and uh, and that is where for us as hands and downs enterprise we've got a key role in in seeing what is our role in enabling that delivery Um, as we've been termed a kind of trusted intermediary and I think that is where we will be moving forward in this space.
1: There's no doubt that with 10 plus gigawatts coming through ScotWind, we're talking several billion pounds of of investment in Scotland. Orsted alone we've identified 12 billion pounds across our bids that that would land in Scotland uh, should we be able to build all of that portfolio. And we've seen other developers talk numbers as well. I think for me, there's a difference between creating the long-lasting infrastructure and then what you put on and in that infrastructure. And I think one of the challenges for ports in particular is – you know, they need a, a business model that works over 50-plus years. And I think that requires coordinated effort by developers, but it also, I think, requires us to work with the enterprise agencies, with Scottish government, and with the Westminster government as well, where that's relevant, to make sure that we can together catalyze those inward investments or, or indeed, indigenous investments. So th- there's no doubt that this is only going to happen at the scale it needs to. And if I think about the size of port facilities we're going to need, for example, as, as Gillian's mentioned, then, you know, we are talking large amounts of money. We've seen a fund uh, recently announced uh, from Westminster, which I think will be very important, but we're going to have to work together to make sure that there is that pipeline of orders, but also the financing that can make those investments happen and happen quickly.
0: Sure. And I mean, looking at the kind of the energy transition aspect of this now, it seems like there's been quite a lot of kind of small steps taken in, in recent years on the way to this green future. But from the, the rhetoric around Scott Wind, it seems like this is now going to be from small steps to a, to a massive leap towards where we want to be by 2045 or 2050, depending on which side of the border you're on.
1: I, I would agree. And I, you know, I think one of the smart things that, that I've picked up in recent weeks is that Scott Wind is Scott Wind 1. And we know we've got the Intog leasing round, innovation, transitioning of oil and gas, that sort of very bespoke boutique round, if you like but then Scott win 2 Scott win 3 Scott win 4 Scott win 5 it's that pipeline of of opportunity that steady but scaled up build out that's so important particularly for the supply chain if you're going to invest in fabrication manufacturing and skills it needs to be on the back of a pipeline that isn't a one shot wonder but that is multiple years and I think that that pipeline of leasing rounds is critical to give the confidence for investors uh, to build capacity and capability in the supply chain because that order book is going to run for many
0: years.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more actually in, in that side of things. And certainly when we look at Scotland and the resource that we have, and we talked about floating and, and that is where the majority of the global market will will come around Scotland's shores, get into these deeper waters. And, and in the near future, we will see these, deployments of scale coming forward and that again is of benefit to Scotland as a kind of first mover advantage. We already have that in terms of of Highwind's project there and there's the the discussion around do we need more demonstrator projects or is it a, a, a case now that we just have to um, we can go to full scale commercial deployment and I think certainly we, we've proven that we can do it and in order to be able, as you say, to invest and have that security of pipeline, Scotland One in TOG and, and the future le- leases of In Scotland are going to be really important. And I think we will see partners coming forward with accelerated timelines in terms of confirming when all that will play out from, from both a government and a Crown State Scotland perspective.
0: Sure, and there's just one point I wanted to, to ask you about Gillian before we take a quick break. With with decades of um projects hopefully in the pipeline, do you think this could kind of give a new lease of life to many areas within the Highlands and Islands that have perhaps seen kind of population decline in in, in recent years and have been overlooked for investment in the past?
2: Without a doubt, it's one of the most important areas. Um, you know, I can speak personally. I live in the far northwest and my job is really exciting um, and it does allow me to, to travel and to be around the whole of Scotland and certainly around the whole of the Highlands and Islands. But we do have particular challenges around operating in rural environments. But what we see here is something truly transformational for, for both, we've touched on skills already, but actually that whole circular economy of what that means to live and work in a rural um, environment. And then what you can then, you see the, the demographics and the population will increase because you have families moving into areas. We've got historically the depopulation from, from the the young ones that leave school and they move away and, and they very rarely come back and so this provides not only the opportunity to come back but the opportunity for a lifelong career in a really exciting industry and and undoubtedly that is pricking the interests of those who are in school at the moment and certainly going through whether it's further education or just looking at the moment in terms of what what industry, what sector could, could our our skill set be, be moving into. And this is a hugely exciting one.
0: Sure, sure. I think that's a really nice point to, to take a break on. So everybody have a quick cup of coffee and we'll be back in a couple of minutes with some more for you.
3: Orsted is one of the world's largest renewable energy companies and in 2021 was ranked the most sustainable energy company in the world for the third consecutive year. With more than 30 years of experience, we are the global leader in offshore wind with 7.6 gigawatts already installed across Europe, the USA, and Asia-Pacific. But we're just getting started and hope to invest a further £12 billion in Scotland alone in the next decade. We are taking tangible action to help create a world which runs entirely on green energy, leveraging our capabilities and insights to help countries and companies in their green transformations, as we accelerate the fight against climate change together. Join us on the journey at Orsted.co.uk.
0: Welcome back to Giga Waters, the latest podcast series from Energy Voice Out Loud. Uh, we're now going to look at the supply chain, the opportunities, and indeed challenges that are going to arise from ScotWind. Let's take the opportunities first. Let's uh, let's enter on a high, shall we? What are the big ones, especially, uh, Benja? Was interested. You said earlier that you came from the oil and gas background into renewables because that's uh, for the supply chain, certainly in Scotland. They're pinning a lot of hope on that being the case here too. Where do you see the, the big opportunities for that?
1: There are big opportunities right across the supply chain. I think the key for me is that we work together, and I spoke earlier about working in partnership with the enterprise agencies and with government to identify together what are the real competitive advantages that the Scottish fabrication, manufacturing, technology development sector has and then relentlessly pursue those because that's where we can create sustainable, long lasting jobs and grasp the export opportunity. And, you know, whether that is in um, particularly some of the technologies around Uh, Floating wind, so obviously the foundations, the substructures themselves, I think that's a great opportunity. They're also very large, so it doesn't make sense to ship them long distances around the world. So for Scotland and Northwest Europe, I'd love to see Scotland building that fabrication capability. I think the jury's somewhat out as to exactly what that technology will be. There's a bit of Darwinism needed, I think, in the uh, design of foundations to find the best ones. But also things like anchoring systems, mooring systems, dynamic cables, control systems, and the higher end of technology around operations and maintenance, autonomous vehicles. I mean, there's a lot of innovation going on in Scotland, you know happening anyway, but also helped with organisations like the Offshore Renewables Catapult based in Glasgow. There's a floating offshore wind centre of excellence in Aberdeen. There's a net zero technology centre in Aberdeen. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure in place, if you like, to drive that innovation. And we're working, for example, with PICT, a great small company in in Scotland that's uh, come up with a brilliant idea for a heave-compensated man-riding lift to get people onto turbines rather than them climbing the ladder. Just one example of the sort of innovation that can lead to I think, long-term growth of businesses. And I'm a big fan of building a strong base of SMEs across the country. It spreads the opportunity around. It's very sustainable. And I think if it focuses on those areas where
0: we have competitive advantage in Scotland, it will have very long legs as well. And Gillian, from your side, where do you see the, the big opportunities for the supply chain?
2: Well, it's it's so significant. And the most important thing that we are looking at at the moment is around this whole integrated manufacturing capability the, the opportunity to be able to manufacture serial components of scale on site to then also be able to deploy and build out from that same site is where we see the real value add. And we know from lessons learned, from from the challenges that we've seen to date, where we need to be in Scotland is at the cutting edge in terms of innovations and efficiencies because we will always be challenged by some of the higher costs that um, that go against us in terms of of getting to that um real cost competitive position so whether it's labor or or logistics or land they they just tend to cost more within Scotland and the UK and, and 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 Europe as well so what we need to do in order to to mitigate that potential risk is really be at the cutting edge of all the very latest technologies to be able to push through these components very seamlessly with with high automation in order to get uh, the cost competitive product um, with quality in order to deliver for for the clients for for Benj's projects for for others for for the tier ones who are looking to to place these contracts. So, so that's that's a key prize. That's the win for Scotland in in the very in the short term in terms of where the focus needs to be. Because if we miss if we miss this particular. Opportunity, this window that we have, and it is going to be quite a narrow window because we know that the CFD regime, as it stands, goes against these investments because timing doesn't work really in terms of being able then to, by the time you sign the contract, that's quite often too tight then for the investment to be in place for for the factories and to be able to produce the components. So we need to move much faster and ahead of the programme delivery schedule that we have to date. But certainly serial manufacturing of scale for floating components, Ben just listed them, I won't go through them again. That's a huge opportunity. And also then just looking at the the wider supply chain in Scotland right through right through the tiers. And the one obvious component that we have missing certainly in Scotland as it stands is is our tier ones or or our OEMs. And we're we're looking to rectify that in the in the near future.
1: You make some really good points there, Gillian. And I think this point around you know if we want to just transition and i think we all do then we have to create sustainable high quality high productivity jobs that build on the training and skills base uh, and not have a race to the bottom on labor costs because we 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 need to build strong sustainable opportunities and I think there's there's huge potential to do that. I agree that the window is narrow but it is open and we need to go through that before it closes. It is challenging because of the the way the CFD regime works and the short time between having your route to um, securing uh, the project and then having to start procuring. But I think developers like Orsted, we, we've learned how to, to manage that and to make sure that we can bring new suppliers into our supply chain. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Because of the way we build our projects, um, we don't package them up and package them out to a a third-party EPC provider. So, for example, on Hornsey 2, we have over 200 contracts that we're managing, and we're managing all of those interfaces. That gives us a real opportunity to work with innovators at all the tiers in the supply chain directly and support them as they enter the industry perhaps for the first time or need to develop and improve their products. So, absolutely, that's where I think the big prize lies, and we've just got to get after it quickly um, once – once we got those
0: projects uh, properly into development, and coming back to that point on those these green high value jobs, is there is there kind of enough in place at the moment to make, uh, that people can transition into them, that people are able to seize those opportunities when they come, or is a bit more work needed to to make sure that there are the skills there for people to to step up to the mark when needed?
1: There's definitely more we we can and need to do. There is a very strong oil and gas skills base, and it's not just uh, around Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. It is more broadly across Scotland, but we need to build on that. We also need to develop these new skills, particularly around digitalisation, automation, as Gillian's mentioned, getting that sort of production line mentality into how how these um, businesses run themselves. You know, when I think of the hundreds and hundreds of turbines that we're going to be putting out into Scottish waters in the coming decade or two or three, we we need to get into that serial fabrication mentality, serial manufacturing, and the cost out journey. Um, and I think you know that is a mindset that we need to support development as it develops uh, through the supply chain. And, and in terms of skills, absolutely, there's there's more that we can do. I'm a big fan actually of going right down to the early years in schools, because I think we need to inspire that generation before their minds are set as to what direction they're going in, and particularly to drive more diversity into our workforce in offshore wind. We haven't done a good job of that so far globally. I think now is an opportunity to build a much more diverse workforce, not just because it's right, but actually also because you get smarter thinking, you get more diverse thinking, you get smarter and better solutions. So I think think it's an imperative that we do that.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think actually as well, I was uh, we are speaking quite recently around what is reputational cost, and then when it transfers into commercial costs. So there's there's a balance there that we need to strike when we're talking about supply chain and what the opportunity is and 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 absolutely it's the high value sustainable jobs that that we look for there and certainly you know the work with with schools through stem activity and what we're seeing as well in in the highlands and islands and throughout scotland is the the academic institutions coming together so for example university of the highlands and islands very engaged in terms of what they can do to help upskill or transfer some of the skills from other sectors and really conscious as well that it is a just transition from from oil and gas into renewables and it's it's certainly not going to happen overnight nobody would want it to happen overnight it's it's going to be um a journey that we're all on um but one that is very high on the agenda in terms of of where that that's kind of skills opportunity as is because you know we talked earlier about the capacity of ports and there is a capacity gap there and they're also we're also seeing as well that the skills that are required here and the number of personnel across the Highlands and Islands in Scotland is going to be significant I and mean, we we need to recognise that and work um collaboratively with, with industry and and the the schools and universities to make sure that our schools are there for when we need them.
0: Absolutely, given that quite a few industry bodies in in, in the last kind of year and a half have said that there is going to be a skills gap in in offshore or in offshore renewables unless something's done quite quickly. So the, the earlier that we can, can get to kids and uh, show them that there's a pathway and a career to be had here, then the quicker those gaps are going to be filled. I mean, j- just to kind of round us off today, looking at ScotWind in the, the context of the UK's global transition, it seems like a lot of people, even even south of the border, are looking north to see what Scotland delivers because it is such a fundamental part. Where do you see it kind of fitting in into this wider UK picture?
1: So, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, Scotwind and the capacity that's coming through in Scotwind 1 and then 2, 3, 4 and beyond is fundamental to getting to net zero for Scotland, but also for the whole of the UK. And also building that green hydrogen economy. I know we have the blue hydrogen projects coming through, and that's going to be very important for Scotland's uh, oil and gas industry. And I think behind that, we'll see the flourishing of green hydrogen. Uh, renewable hydrogen i think ultimately looks like it's the the winning technology it's not without its challenges; it's got a long way to go so with the resource the wind resource that scotland has offshore i'm not at all surprised uh, that scotland's aiming to be a hydrogen exporter Uh, that seems like a very smart move it it means that we can capture the benefits of all of that wind energy there are challenges in terms of getting uh, electricity down to uh, load centers south of the border so let's pursue not only the offshore wind agenda but also the hydrogen agenda because I think it, it offers again huge opportunities for Scotland.
2: Yeah, absolutely I mean I think it's it's well acknowledged that we won't be seeing offshore wind without hydrogen um, moving forward and um, they will both be core components of one another and, and actually the opportunities there for, for green hydrogen are, are also significant and you know, Scotland as a place to be in terms of of our position for being able to, to hit net zero and climate change targets is hugely exciting. The fact that Scottish Government aims to achieve the targets quicker, um, always wanting to be front runners and rightly so. I think we do have, we've got the skills, we've got the experience and we've got the opportunity to make that happen and um, we just need to keep up the pace and the momentum, what we've gathered just now, in order to make sure that we secure the full value of of, of Scotland and the future leasing rounds, um, importantly for our supply chain and also our wider communities.
0: Excellent. Just coming back to that point on targets very quickly, we've got the 40 gigawatt one for, for UK by 2030. Do you see those being kind of hit in the next, even the kind of in the next few years given the scale and the uptake of Scotwind and this is Scotwind 1 and the, the the way that this is speeding up it seems like these targets could be smashed before we even get to them
1: so i, I- <laughs> Uh, it would be nice if we could. I think it's, uh, it's, it is it's it is pretty challenging. Um, let's not forget there's a lot of work to be done to get these projects in the water in terms of the planning process, the consenting process, and particularly making sure that we take due regard to all the environmental aspects of, of offshore development, both the bottom fixed and floating. I mean, we're, one of our big projects that we put into this round will deliver by 2030 and uh, contribute to those 2030 targets. I think quite a bit of this, particularly the bigger floating projects, are likely to come a bit later. So I think we shouldn't get too fixated on 2030 because I think we should get fixated on net zero, frankly, because we've got to hit targets in 2035 and 2040 if we're going to deliver net zero by 2050 and also power a hydrogen economy as well as a green electricity economy.
2: Yeah, we have to be so um, careful and and recognising the other sea users around our, our coastline and, and that's that's a really important point which we hadn't touched on to date. You know we have a hugely important aquaculture uh, sector in Scotland and we need to recognise other sea users as well so that's really important that we we do that in a sensitive way and in a way that not only achieves the ambitions that we have for net zero but also for the other sectors that, that utilise our sea and indeed our ports and our coastline across Scotland.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really nice point to, to round up today's episode on for the, the first episode of Giga Waters. Uh, thank you, Benj. Thank you, Gillian, for joining me today. That was a great chat. It was really good to hear both of your thoughts, and I'm sure it'll set the tone nicely for, for all the other installments that we've got to, to follow. To our listeners, if you'd like to share your thoughts about what we've discussed today, you can find us on social media or you could drop us an email at outcloud at energyvoice.com. Uh, don't forget to tune into our weekly podcast episodes where the Energy Voice team discuss the latest goings on in the energy sector, ranging from oil and gas to renewables. If you're yet to do so, please do subscribe free to Energy Voice Out Loud on your podcast app of choice and listen out for more episodes of Gigawatts hitting the airwaves soon. I'm Hamish Penman. Thank
3: you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice.